This evening we are, are studying um, a new series, okay? We just finished up in uh, our summer series looking at the essentials, okay? And even though you guys are in high school and you're all mature and everything, I'm still going to ask for participation every once in a while, and I think that you're comfortable enough to do that. This is not going to be hard questions, and, and so when, when we look at what we've been studying, the, the essentials, these are the disciplines of a Christian life that are vital for the spiritual health of, health of a believer, Okay? We, we studied them because as a believer, you need to know them and you need to practice them so you can grow in your sanctification. And so I would ask, did you do that? Did you take advantage of that time to give yourself that spiritual checkup? Okay? Do, do you remember what those six essentials were that we looked at and we studied and we practiced? We, we looked at prayer and evangelism and Bible study and worship and service and fellowship. And then we had opportunities to put them into practice. Okay, so you were, you were taught the lesson, you were reminded of what these, these essentials were, and then you went through the exercise of doing them, right? And, and you were helped along with you by your leaders. And so I hope that you, you took that opportunity. I know the middle schoolers really benefited from that, and so that was a, a great time of study. Well, this past Sunday, Justin introduced a, a new series. What we're going to be studying now is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And you'll remember that, that Nine Marks is a resource. It's a website. It's a series of books. It's a ministry that uh, help you evaluate the health of a church. It's the local church we're talking about. Again, we, we're not going to review all of, of what that was, but I'm just going to remind you that the purpose of this study is to recognize and identify a healthy church. And you want to recognize and identify a healthy church, and then after this study and you've looked at, at all the marks of a healthy church, you want to realize the importance of a healthy church, okay? And then why is that important? Why do we want to be able to do that? Most of you, like I said, have been here at Countryside for many years. You've grown up starting in the nursery and in children's ministries. You've done VBSs. You've been in the youth group. And this has been your church, your home for as long as you can remember. And, and I know you've been exposed to good teaching. You know that, that your parents think this is a good church. But there's, I'm sure, people here who are new, who have come because they've been invited by a friend. This is a, a church that's in a good area. And so we want to all be able to evaluate the health of our church for the good of the church body. Okay, so with that in mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open our time in prayer. And then we'll talk about the, the marks of a healthy church and specifically the one we're going to look at this evening. Okay, so if you would join me as we go to the Lord and start our time of worship and prayer. Gracious Father, we do bow before you because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. Lord, when we come to you, when you, we open your word, we are blessed by what you reveal to us. We are blessed by the promises that are in your word, and we are convicted by the mirror that scripture is of our, our own sinful lives. And Lord, we sing songs where we give you praise and, and we, we lift your name on high. And so, Lord, I pray that our worship would be pleasing to you, that as we look at a healthy church, that we would evaluate our, our church body, we would evaluate uh, ourselves individually and what we participate in and how we contribute to the health of this church. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life and his substitutionary death. And we thank you for your love for us, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, listening to the music... And listening to the truths that we're singing about, a God who is mighty to save might have given away what we're going to talk about. 
the first mark of a healthy church that we're going to look at is a healthy church teaches a biblical gospel. Okay? A healthy church teaches a biblical gospel. Now, I can't stress to you how important that is. A biblical gospel is the dividing line between a healthy church and a false church. Right? It's the difference between eternity with God and an eternity separated from God. This doctrine, this gospel, this belief can only be right or wrong. There's no partial credit here. There's no getting a little bit of the gospel right and missing out on some of it. You have to understand the biblical gospel. So if we're going to evaluate the health of a church on the way they teach and the way they share and the way they live the gospel, well, then it's important that we have a right understanding of what a biblical gospel is, okay? So with this resource that we have, the Nine Marks Ministry, there's a book that's titled, What is the Gospel? And we're going to look at what that is. We're going to define it. And so, again, this is where I would ask you to to help me out. We're going to have a little bit of participation. And let's answer that question with just some broad stroke definitions, okay? I'm not going to give you the the, the stand for, for lots of minutes or anything like that, but who's, who's brave enough to raise your hand and tell me what is the gospel in just a, a sentence or two? Isaiah, what is the, the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's an excellent start. Who else? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, you've, you've heard. It's God's word. Yes, that's right. What else? Okay, nobody's, nobody's good. What you got, Eva? I'm sorry. I, go ahead, Kev. Awesome. So you, you went with the, the theme of the Bible. I love it. Man is guilty. God is perfect. Awesome. See, I knew you could do it. You guys, you, you have these answers off the top of your head. And none of you gave the, uh, the dreaded, the gospel is, the first four books of the New Testament. Right? You, you guys know better. That's awesome. You've been paying attention. Okay. So, you guys told me that it's, it's God's word, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. You, you hit on some important things, that God is, is, is holy, man is sinful, and that's, that's awesome. And what if I was to tell you that the good news is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Is that the gospel? If we, if we think about that, is that really what the gospel says? Okay, Let, let's, let's think about that. First of all, is it, is it true? Is it true what I said that God loves you? Does God love you? Yes, God loves you. Okay, the Bible tells us that. And the most famous, you shaking your head no, Austin. Does God love you? Okay, okay, yes, God loves you. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, so clearly scripture tells you that God loves you. And what about his plan for your life? Okay, I said God has a wonderful plan for your life. Again, is that true, that God has a wonderful plan for your life? Okay, well, if you are familiar with our Bible quizzing, which we're going to uh, go over quite a bit tonight, God's sovereign care says in Romans 8:28, what? We know that God causes all things to work together for good. All right? So that's true statements that I made, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But there's something missing. There's something left out. I made no mention of sin, which we talked about as part of the gospel. No mention of repentance, of turning away from sin, of turning to, to God. No mention of God's holiness, only his love. 
Okay? And, and no mention of God's righteousness, his judgment, his, his right to hold you accountable for your sin against him. You see, this definition of the good news is incomplete. It's watered down to feel safe. It it's doesn't confront the problem we have. And I believe that this is probably the most dangerous kind of error that's out there. Okay, it's just enough truth to get your guard down. It draws you in to think that you're okay, that, that God loves you and is going to forgive you no matter what. And it doesn't tell you the whole truth. It's just enough Bible references to, to build a case, but not enough Bible truth. It's lacking the real evidence of the Bible. So, if we think about this, how, how many of you have ever been presented with a, a scenario where someone says, hey, I've got good news and I've got bad news? Well, which makes sense to hear first? Okay? Which, which obviously, I want to hear the bad news. Okay, give it to me straight. What's the bad news so that I can be lifted up and hear the good news? Okay, if you never hear the bad news, then, then the good news is not that good. Right? There was a, a teacher here at Countryside, and I tried to remember who it was. It may have been Justin. It may have been Dusty. I don't remember. You know, like I said, I've been here for a long time. I'm getting kind of old, so I would like to quote them. But it was a teacher here at Countryside. They gave the example of walking up to someone and saying, hey, look, don't fear. I have a parachute. And giving you the parachute. And you think, okay, weirdo, thanks. I appreciate that, but why are you giving me a parachute? It doesn't make sense. It's out of context. You're here. You're safe on the ground. You're not in any danger. You don't need a parachute. But if I tell you, hey, this plane that we're in flying at 30,000 feet, the engines have failed. The pilots already bailed. Like we are going to crash into the mountains and there is no chance of survival unless you take this parachute that I have and then there is a plan for your rescue. At that point, you, you would be excited about it. Okay, you would have the whole picture of your dire situation. You would know that you are on a course for destruction unless you take this offer of rescue. And so this is the offer of rescue that you would gladly receive. Okay, so my earlier statement about the good news completely leaves out the bad news. It doesn't tell you the whole story. Right? So there's a problem with that. Now, I'm going to go ahead and go on record here and say again that Countryside Bible Church is a healthy church. Okay? I'm not expecting you to take my word for it or your parents' word for it. But again, the purpose of this series is to teach you how to evaluate that on your own. But if you're paying attention week in and week out through each and every ministry, everyone who walks through those doors is faithfully taught the biblical gospel. We open our Bibles and we see the truth of God's word. And you as a youth group have at your fingertips a Bible quiz curriculum that walks you through the gospel using verses from Scripture. It explains the facts, and if you spend time looking through this information that's been put together for you, well, then you have a biblical gospel. You have a, a truth that you can trust. And so I think that you guys are, are off to a good start with your base knowledge of what the biblical gospel is. Okay? You've learned it from the very words of Scripture themselves. So what I would like to do is open our Bibles and go to one book of the Bible and look at the gospel presented in, in its entirety. Okay, in the book that, we're, that I'm thinking of, the theme is the gospel of God. Okay, so where are we turning? Anybody, shout it out. Where are we turning? The gospel of God is the theme of which book? Thank you. All right, whoever said that, I appreciate you participating. All right, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. 
and we're going to look at the gospel in the Bible. Okay? And you'd be surprised how uh, unique that idea is to some churches, that we would open our Bibles and we would study what God's Word says. Romans chapter 1, Paul identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. And then after his introduction to the saints in Rome, he, he proceeds to explain the good news about Jesus. And his gospel presentation is structured around a few critical truths that I think are going to be pretty apparent once we get going. You'll recognize this structure. He has this, this statement in verse 16 where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then we get started in verse 18. And the first critical truth that Paul explains that you need to understand about the biblical gospel is we are accountable to an almighty God. Okay, We are, an, we are accountable to an almighty God. What does he say in verse 18? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they become futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So clearly, Paul is pointing out that, that God created the world. He has made himself known through his creation. All of humanity knows that they were created and that we are not self-sufficient. And since God created all things, you've heard it over and over again, he owns all things. God gets to make the rules. He has the right to require our obedience and our worship, and we should give him all that he is due. We are to submit to his authority. Okay, and then if we, if we look at our Bible quiz curriculum, again, the information that's been put together for you, you've studied it, you've recited it, you've learned it, then it, it is the same pattern, the same description that Paul uses. Okay, where do we start? In Genesis 1.1, God created in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator and owner of everything. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. We have to have a, a right understanding of who God is to understand the biblical gospel. He requires that you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, and he requires perfect obedience from us. So I was thinking through... God in the Bible and the attributes of God. And we're only going to do the biblical gospel, and so we could go any number of places. And if I could get you to start calling out attributes of God and you actually did it, then we could do that all night too. Okay, but we're going to look at something we studied recently, and that's God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his promised nation through Abraham. You remember that? That wasn't that far, that long ago, right? In Genesis, we studied the, the, good, uh, the good promises of God, the way he fulfilled it, his faithfulness, and then his power and his sovereignty over the nations. In Genesis 15, there was a, there was a pivotal event. God assures Abram of the promises that he's made, and he's, he's promised to make him this great nation. And he's able to promise that because he's able to do that. He's going to bless him and make his name great. This is what, what God does, is he makes himself known. And to us, he makes himself known through the pages of Scripture. 
But we saw there that he, he spoke to Abram. He went to him and, and assured him, look, I am your divine protector. I will make this right. I will be a shield against your very real enemies. Okay? And then in, in Psalms, we, we get the same uh, sentiment from the psalmist. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is able to make these promises, to keep these promises, to be your protector, and to promise this reward. All of these things God is. He is, he is patient and he is kind in, in the way he deals with Abram. He clearly and succinctly tells him the plan and then tells Abram, this, your plan is not the way, my plan is the way. And through all of this, he, he allows Abram to come to him and finally have this faith. And then in Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord. And what does God do with that? In his mercy and his grace, he counts that as righteousness. He counts Abram's faith as righteousness. Righteousness not earned, but reckoned to him, credited to his count. Okay, so we see the message of salvation in Genesis when we're even just looking at God and his attributes. Okay, his power and his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. And then that message is, is taught throughout the New Testament, but we can, we can see that it starts with God. You can rest in that fact that God will see you through that. Abram had trials. He had wars. He had all kinds of things going on that we studied, and God saw him through. And the same is, is true of you. There are promises that God makes to his church. There are promises that God makes to the world. And so when we think about right and wrong, eternity and separation, we think about these promises. They're the same. There's a promise that there's going to be a Savior. There's a promise that, that if you place your faith and trust in him, you will spend eternity with God. There's a promise that you will see your rewards in heaven. On the other side of it, there is promise that there will be judgment. And God is just as faithful to keep those promises as he is the ones of reward. You know, we, we see the, the daunting uh, indictment here in Revelation where he says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The dead spiritually die the second death. They are not spared from their deeds. They have no defense for them. They are, they are judged according to their deeds. God makes it clear in his word that he requires your obedience. Okay? And we see very clearly that he is worthy of it. Okay, So James 2.10, you're required to follow the whole law. If you're guilty of even one mistake, then you're guilty of the whole law. So that brings us to the, the next thought. How has humanity done with that requirement? Okay? Paul is going to address that as we keep going in Romans. He's going to tell us that all of humanity has rebelled against God. And if you stop and think just in a vacuum, just what we've talked about tonight, this mighty and awesome God who has made a way, who has made a promise, who has made himself known, man has rebelled against him. And verse 23 of Romans 1, where we're looking at Paul's letter, says, man has exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and, cre and crawling creatures. Man has stolen God's glory to worship the creation instead of the creator. 
We give our love and our allegiance and our attention to, to things and to, to people or to ourselves. And, and the, the indictment is spelled out over the next three chapters in Romans. Paul really goes into detail here to give us a clear picture of what man has done, how he has responded to God with, in, in rebellion and in disobedience. And we already know that that is, is not going to end well for man. That's a problem. Okay? The, the Gentiles and Jews both, which is to say every person, has broken God's law, and they're going to be held accountable for that when it comes time to face the judgment throne. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. When you stand before the throne, you will not be able to give an account. It's not like you won't be able to come up with something. You won't be able to think of the right words. There will be no words. There will be no defense except Jesus saved me. Jesus died for me. I followed after Jesus. So that's man. Man has rebelled against God. And again, we go to your Bible quizzing to think through what do we know already? What have we been studying? What information has been given to you from Scripture packaged up so you can have it ready in your mind? Which is a good thing. You want to have Scripture readily available. You want to know it in your heart so you can meditate on it and know these truths. Well, we've learned that everyone has broken God's law, right? Everyone has broken God's law. Romans is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty for sin is eternal death. We looked at that in Revelation. It's in Romans. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're looking ahead to the good news there. But still we see the truth that the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do on our own. Any good work, any intention is not going to save you. And, and our Titus 3.5 verse, which many of you have memorized, has the gospel message in it, the gospel truth. This flies in the face of everything the world will tell you. The world will tell you that you deserve to be happy. And our prideful hearts dive headfirst after the worldly things. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're not that bad, right? We're not as bad as that guy who, who is a drunk or who steals or who has killed people, right? But the truth is, the truth you all know is that that guy is not the standard, okay? Your neighbor is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Perfection is the standard. And none of us will ever be able to satisfy that requirement. So when we started, we were looking at the good news of the gospel. And so far, we've not had very much good news. Right? We have learned that God lives in unapproachable glory, in, in set-apart holiness. Okay? And he demands your perfect obedience. But it is clear, both through Scripture and in your life that you see around you, that that's not possible. Man has broken God's law, he's rebelled against him, and he is doomed to stand separated from God for eternity, judged for his sins, punished for his sins. I want to take a second just to say, you know, I say separated. Many of you know what that means, but I don't want that to sound light. It's not like separated from your parents or separated from your sweetheart that you're so sad you don't get to see. Okay, that's painful and that's what are you giggling for? You, you don't have a sweetheart? Okay, so you, you, you understand the idea, right? It's, it's like it's uncomfortable. You can't wait to see them again. Separated from God is separated from everything good. 
Okay, And that means that you are surrounded only by everything bad and evil. And, and it is just the picture. I don't know that separated gives you a good enough picture unless you understand it the way it is talked about in Scripture. But this, this news is important to understand the bad side so that we can get to the good side. Okay? The, the glad tidings that, that are, are promised in the good news of the gospel are coming. We can't fully understand the biblical truth if we don't have the full picture. So I think we've got a good start. And so now we are presented with the solution. And still going through Romans, we get to chapter 3. Paul gets to God's solution to man's sin. And it is the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Okay? The solution to man's sin is the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Romans 3.21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Although that Paul makes it clear that this is for everyone who would believe. You understand that all means everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. God took Jesus' sacrifice as sufficient payment for your sin. Paul tells us that the righteousness that God provided here is apart from the law. It is not based on your ability to obey the law, to meet the requirement of perfection, to have enough good deeds. We have all fallen sin. This sin, short, this justification is a gift. It's God's grace that he would accept the blood of Jesus Christ as payment. And so this is the good news. After I told you there's no way to do it on your own, then God tells you, Paul tells you, Scripture tells you, there is a way to be made right with God. There is a way to be with him in eternity, and it is Jesus. Jesus, who from your Bible quizzing, came to earth as both God and sinless man. That's an important fact to understand. And Scripture tells us in Colossians 2.9 that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. God loved you and sent his son to die for you. He demonstrates his love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And then the, the best news of all is that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5. He was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus lived a perfect life, the life that was required of you. And then he died the death that sin deserved, but not his sin, your sin. And he demonstrates his love while he was here on this earth during his ministry. Over and over, Jesus healed the sick. Right? He cast out demons. He taught. He, he fed people. That was all out of his love. Okay? In Mark, what's the theme of Mark? Jesus as, shout it out, servant. Jesus as servant. He served his people. He loved his people. We can think about Mark chapter 6 with the very familiar account of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Right? Jesus is 
has crowds all around him. He's been performing miracles. His apostles have been performing miracles. There's people from all over that want to see him, want to be him, be around him, be close to him, to hear him, right? And then in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Jesus went ashore and saw the loud, large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? Did he feed them? Did he give them clothing? No. He began to teach them many things. When he saw them clamoring about like sheep and they were lost going here and there and he had compassion on them, the first thing he did was to teach them. That's how he expressed his compassion. Jesus loved them and, and knew that there were physical needs, knew that they were sick and hungry and tired. He himself was, was tired. He had been preaching all day and all night. He had been traveling. He hadn't eaten. There were physical needs of their bodies, but what they needed was the truth. They needed to be taught the truth about eternity, about a holy God, the truth about the way to be right with God, to, be, to gain entrance to the kingdom. And so that's what he did. The, the, the mission of the apostles that he sent out was to preach that men should repent. He came to seek and to save the lost by teaching, by telling us of our need for repentance. And that's the greatest need that he could have met for them on that day. He taught them many things. And again, the part that you remember is the part where, where he feeds them, where he, he creates things out of thin air. He creates food for their bodies, and he, he rescues them from their present trouble. Okay, and that is in keeping with his loving nature, right? Our, our, our God is sacrificial, and he's, a, he's the servant. He's in Mark portrayed as the suffering servant. Okay, rightfully, by the account of what is going on. But he is the deity that dwells in bodily form. So he has the power to create because he's fully God. This Jesus of the Bible is mighty and powerful to save. See, we went with the, the song that we sang just a minute ago. He is mighty to save in his life and in his death. He displays the love of the Father and his own love for you. All right, so we've covered God. Man's problem, the solution in Jesus. And then finally, as we keep going through Romans, there's a fourth critical truth that Paul addresses, and he tells the readers how this good news applies to them. Because okay, you can recognize this as the problem and the good news and the solution, and then think, well, how does that apply to me? The truth is, number four, salvation is for those who would repent and believe. Salvation is for those who would repent and believe. Romans 4, verse 5, but to the one who does not work, Again, you can't earn it. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, just like we saw in the Old Testament when God credited Abram's faith as righteousness. Paul tells us that the one who believes in him is justified. His faith is credited as righteousness. And the good news of the gospel is for anyone who hears the truth about Jesus and responds in repentance and faith. Faith in the only one who's able to provide that righteousness that God requires. Okay? So sinners must repent and believe when they hear the good news. They repent of what? All that dishonors God. You, Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. How can you hear the truth about God and who he is and his compassion for you and continue to, to turn your face from him, to continue to stand in opposition to him, 
Okay? But that's who we are apart from the, the grace of God, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God reaching into your, your flesh and taking out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Okay? The, the things that, that we heard um, at, at our baptism service this past Sunday. How many of you were at baptism service this past Sunday? One of you, those of youth that got baptized, I think, that shared his, his testimony. I don't know if he's here. But anyway, the, the, um, the testimonies that we hear at baptism are always such an encouragement because it is the gospel. Yeah, we hear through each and every one of them how God has worked in the lives of, of the people that he has called to be his own. Okay? And if, if you've been through the baptism class, you've, you've been taught how to apply this gospel and, and explain it in your testimony. Okay? And what I mean by that is, is you're rehearsing the truth of the gospel and you're identifying the process and the effects of, of the gospel and, and how you've responded to it and what that looks like in your own life if you're a believer, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have submitted your will to his, if you are following after Jesus as your Lord. Okay? And in the baptism class, I, I've sat in there with Pastor Joshua, um, and again, he may have been quoted from somebody else, but we talk about the before, the how, and the now, okay? The before, the how, and the now of the gospel as it applies to your life. The before is an understanding of who you are apart from God. And we've covered that this evening from a biblical viewpoint. We know that we are rebellious in our hearts, where we worship the created instead of the creator, and we stand in opposition to a holy God, and we hold on to our sin because we love it. Hey, that's, that's the state that we're in before Christ. And that's the unique part you hear in those testimonies each and every night. Hey, or that night, I should say. The, the sins were all different, but our problem is all the same. And it's sin. Hey, you, you have to recognize that. You have to confess that to God and then turn from it in repentance and turn towards God and turn towards righteousness. Okay, so that's, that's the before. You recognize your state before God. And then the how is what you understood about the good news as well as the bad news. Maybe when you heard the gospel and, and the truths that Paul laid out, that you heard in, in youth group, that you studied in your Bible quizzing, okay, what did you recognize about your, your helpless state? How did you come to understand that? And, and it helps you to articulate your testimony if you understand the biblical gospel. You know what's supposed to happen, and you know that it, that's what happened with you. Okay? We have all sinned and fall short. We miss the mark of perfection that's required to have peace with God, and instead we are at war. We are at war with a holy God. So in your testimony, you, you zoom in from this wide view of all humanity who has sinned against God. Okay? You understand that truth, and you have to take a microscopic view down to your own sinful heart, and you have to deal with that. Okay? And then you repent, and you, dis you repent of all that dishonors God, and you run to him and beg for forgiveness. So that's, that's when you're thinking about the how. And you, and, and you should also know uh, when you heard the gospel, okay? when it, 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 uh, you understood it. Okay? Not necessarily right down to the, the day and the minute and the hour. Lots of people grew up hearing the gospel. Many of you have grown up in this church, and you have uh, heard it. You've agreed with it. But there's a point in time where you are not saved. Okay? You've heard the truth. You've not responded to it. Okay? You, you do the church things. You go to the church events. But, but you're not a Christian because there's no fruit in your life. Okay, and, then, and then there's a point in time where you are justified before God. And at that point, at the moment of salvation, you're a new creature. 
Scripture says you're, you're a new creature. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. And so you, you, you're not saved over a period of time. Just like there's no partial credit with the gospel, there's no time lapse. There's, there's no time release. Okay? At one point, you are an enemy of God, and then you are received by God, and, and Jesus' righteousness is credited to your account. So that's the how. You need to understand the how. And then... We think about the now. What does your life look now look like now that you have not only understood your need for a Savior, but you have placed your faith and trust in Him? You've realized that He died for you, but now you, you must submit your life to Him as Lord. Okay, the now is the fruit that is displayed in your life because He has given you that new heart. You have now been given spiritual life, and, and you're, able to be rec- you're able to be reconciled. Your response, okay, the now is obedience to his word, obedience to commands. So we come full circle with this understanding of, of the gospel and our response to it. And we're right back to the, the essentials, right? If you're a Christian, now we can take stock of, of where you're at and you have this desire to pray and to study God's word. Is, is that true of you? Is that fruit in your life as a believer? Okay, you you want to worship him and, and tell others about him. You want to be around other believers and fellowship with them and, and, and serve them. These are things that you can evaluate in yourself as you understand the gospel that is presented in Scripture. Sinners can and must respond to the gospel in this way. So, with just a little bit of effort, we were able to follow this scripture presentation in, in Romans as Paul laid it out for the, the believers in, in the saints in Rome. And then you can test that against the, the Bible quiz curriculum, the structure that we have there. And you see the, the similarities, the, the truths that are in Paul's letter are God, man, Jesus, and the sinner's response. The truths that are in your Bible quizzing are God, man, Jesus, and the sinner's response. There's consistency. There's truth from the Bible that is taught throughout the ministries here at Countryside. And throughout the New Testament, the gospel message is, is preached in these patterns. Not always with the all four parts like it's a checklist, but the truth of the gospel is consistent. You can't have the good news without understanding the bad news. Right? Let's go back to our, our verse that we started with, John 3.16, and, and keep going. God so loved the world, true, we've, we've established that. He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, that's the good news, that, that you don't have to perish. You can have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Okay, the son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to die that, sin, that death that your sin deserved. He who believes in him is not judged. There's your response. You have to have the whole picture of the gospel and respond to it, and then your life will bear fruit. Okay, real simple. Bad news is we've sinned against the holy God. I mean, we started there with, with your definitions of it. And then we had good news that there's a way to be saved, and there's salvation in no other name but Jesus. The, the biblical gospel is clear. It is wonderful. It is great news once you understand the bad news. And so it is one that we all must respond to. Okay? And, and we want that as a church. We want a healthy church to understand the scripture that teaches the gospel of God. All right. So as we, as we start to wrap up, I want to consider 
the results of teaching the biblical gospel. What happens in a church when, when a healthy church puts the biblical gospel on display? Well, clearly, you're going to have to have the right doctrine. You have to believe the right thing, and what you believe is, is from the words of Scripture. But then that doctrine, when it's put into practice throughout a church, when you have a gospel-centered culture, okay? You understand those words? We use those same words to describe our youth ministry, that okay? we train in understanding the truths, okay, and understanding how to be a healthy church, and then you have a culture that puts it on display. And as, as young believers who are growing in their faith, you guys in the high school group are, are to have a culture that's centered around the cross, Okay, and the cross is Jesus' sacrifice. The cross is the commands of Scripture. It is the good news of the gospel. So you're to live that in your lives. That's how these, these nine Marks books describe it, is, is gospel doctrine that results, results in a gospel culture. We have here at Countryside a, a, a high view of Scripture, a high view of God, and we want to equip the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4.12. Okay, so, so as you're evaluating countryside, you see a healthy church, and, and you want to continue to do that. But the idea that you would have to evaluate a church that's not countryside may not be that far off for some of you. Okay, there's some seniors in here that you've probably already picked a school where you're going to go next year. And it might not be right down the road where you can stay at countryside and, and continue to, to go here. And once you get there, if you haven't already, you're going to have to evaluate the churches you go to. Okay, and, and, and the gospel that's preached, the Jesus that's preached, the God that is preached, needs to be the gospel of the Bible. Now, when you first go, you may have the help of your parents, and you'll have their guidance, and that's great. But eventually, you're the one that's going to be there. Okay, you're going to own your Christian faith. You're going to own your, your church attendance and, and your participation in ministries. And so the purpose, again, if we think about this from a, a big-picture stance, is really is to help you to identify a healthy church. Okay? And, and, and we're just getting started on the, the marks of a healthy church, but this is fundamental. This is foundational. You have to have the gospel right when you're looking for a healthy church. Okay? Let's pray. I appreciate you, uh, you guys participating. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, it's exciting to hear the work that you've done in, in so many people, when we listen to baptisms, then we listen to the testimonies, and we hear the truth of your word. Lord, week in and week out, we hear the word taught. And so we want to build on that. We want to continue to grow in our knowledge of you. And if there's opportunity to go to, a, to another church, Lord, we want to make sure that it is a healthy church and that we're participating in true worship of you. Lord, we thank you for our local church here. We thank you for the elders and the leadership of Countryside who holds you in high regard, and we want to continue to do that. Lord, thank you for this time. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.